that wraps it up for another episode of Flashpoints. Our executive producer is Dennis Bernstein. Senior producers are Miguel Gavilan Molina and Kevin Pina. Technical director is Mike Biggs. For previous episodes, go to kpfa.org or flashpoints.net. For questions or comments, email dennis at kpfa.org. Thank you for listening. Portland on 90.7 FM and streaming on the web at kboo.fm. KBOO Community Radio holds open meetings concerning the operations and programming of KBOO in accordance with requirements of the Communications Act of 1934 and certification requirements of the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Information about KBOO Community Radio's open meeting policy is available at our website at kboo.fm. Due to the temporary closure of in-station activity at KBOO, meetings will be conducted online via public video conferencing unless otherwise noted. A public link and phone number to attend the meetings are available on our website. The Development and Events Committee meets on the fourth Monday of the month at 4.30 p.m. Please visit our website at kboo.fm to verify if a meeting is being held. You're listening to KBOO Portland. The following program is a rebroadcast. For all of KBOO's archived audio, please visit our website at kboo.fm. Welcome to the Food Show. I'm Emily Becker. On today's show, we're talking about farm to school because it's officially fall. Everyone's back in school. The leaves are getting all fancy and my house is full of apples. Um, In the studio today, we have Amy Gilroy, the farm to school manager at Oregon Department of Agriculture, Lola Milholland, the CEO of Umi Organic, and Lucy De Leon of Tortillera y Tienda De Leon. Sorry, did I say that right? You sound bilingual. Oh, wow. (laughs) What a compliment. Um, So among other things that Amy does at the Oregon Department of Agriculture, she also helps entrepreneurs navigate the school food market and bring their products into school cafeterias. Um, Both Lola and Lucy run food businesses that have figured out how to adjust their products to meet school nutrition guidelines and get them in the hands and stomachs of school kids. So we'll get the full story from Lola and Lucy soon. But first, let's talk about what Farm to School is and what that looks like in Oregon. So Amy, let's let's start with you. Tell us what Farm to School is all about. Sure. So Farm to School is a statewide program designed to improve food, nutrition, and agriculture education in schools. Um, it also strength, strengthens our local um, food economy by helping schools uh, source Oregon-grown and processed products. Uh, for their school meal programs. Um, Actually, many states across the country have farm-to-school programs. Uh, Oregon's is actually one of the um, oldest programs. It's about uh, a little over 12 years old, um, and it's actually number one in the country. We have an enormous amount of support here 
um, in the state uh, for the program, and and that's been growing considerably uh, over the last um, few years. How is how is that measured? How are we number one? Like, what is it? The most money that gets invested, or most programs? Or? Yeah, I mean, it's really it's really a combination of, of resources as well as partners. I mean, we couldn't be doing this work um, without a number of partners that make the program successful across the state. So. Uh, my role with the Department of Agriculture is actually to help um, advise the Department of Education um, in implementing the program. So um, in Oregon, we're really lucky because we have two state agencies that have uh, full-time positions that are dedicated for uh, for farm-to-school programming. Uh, and so my counterpart, Rick Sherman, with the Department of Education is a, is a key, uh, key person in helping make the program successful. But we also have a number of partners um, across the state. The Oregon Farm-to-School and School Garden Network um, is a statewide advocacy organization and a resource organization that works um, with a lot of schools, a lot of school garden educators, teachers, volunteers, families, producers. Um, and without them, um, you know, we wouldn't be able, to, we would not be where we are um, today, especially with the increase in funding for the program. Um, some of our other partners like um, EcoTrust um, is an is a essential partner with what we do in helping producers um, access the, the school marketplace. Um, and we also have a number of regional uh, regional uh, hubs around the state, and we can talk about that a little bit later, but we have a number of hubs um, that are managed by nonprofit organizations. Also, OSU Extension is really a key partner um, in those um, hubs and building the capacity of our hubs to connect producers and schools. Um, but then also the, the funding. Um, Oregon actually um, received a substantial amount of funding this last biennium. Uh, we were funded... Uh, in the previous uh, previous years at $4.6 million, and uh, we were funded for the next biennium at $15 million. Wow. So it's a huge win for producers, for schools, for kids, um, with the expansion of the funds. That's so cool. That's so much money. Yeah. Um, awesome. So when I think about farm to school, I kind of think about um, like school gardens, and I think about uh, like the local lunch program and things like that. What what other kinds of pro- projects happen in Oregon and maybe in the U.S. and Lola jump in here too um, that are like considered farm to school because it's kind of this big category, right? A big sure. O- umbrella. Sure. I, so I you know farm to school um, is. Um, I mean, there's really no one uh, one size fits all for farm to school. The programs kind of look different across the state as as well as across the country. But essentially what we're trying to accomplish with the program is helping to teach kids uh, about where their food comes from and and helping to give um, producers uh, another stable marketplace for their products. Um, We know that it's really not enough to just put healthy local products in front of front of kids on the school meal, uh, the school uh, lunch plate or on the tray. We really have to be teaching them about the benefits of, of eating uh, healthy food, why it's important, but also giving them a chance to um, to do it themselves, right? So having them out in the school gardens, growing their own produce. Um, a lot of our school gardens in Oregon actually um, you know, the cafeterias will source the produce from that garden. Um, so it's a great opportunity for kids to try new fruits and vegetables uh, by growing it themselves and, and feeling empowered to do that and also trying it in the salad bar. Um, our salad bars are really popular. We've got great stories across the state about how um, kids are actually, if they're involved in growing that produce, they're the ones most likely to go to the, the salad bar and um, eat those um, vegetables almost every day. So we, we think that's a huge success. Um, some of the other elements of farm to school have to do with what's happening in the classroom. Uh, a lot of nutrition education programming or agricultural education uh, programming is provided through farm to school funds, um, and a lot of those uh, curricula are delivered in classroom settings as well as outdoor experiential education settings as well. Um, and then, as I said earlier, you know it's really about helping producers um, access the school marketplace. Uh, you know, doing a lot of navigating on their behalf and helping them uh, with reformulating their products to meet nutrition standards because schools are required to serve. Uh, healthy food and and um, sometimes that can be difficult for producers to understand how to uh, you know for their products to meet those nutrition guidelines. Mm-hmm. And so when you say producers, are you you're specifically talking about somebody who makes like a a manufactured product, not like a farmer? Well, you know, I'm talking about I'm using that uh, term pretty broadly. So producers, ranchers, um, seafood harvesters, mm-hmm. processors, food manufacturers are all uh, part of the farm to school equation. Ooh. 
I love that there's also boat to school. Oh yeah. <laughs> do we have any um like do we have any boat to school programs in Oregon? You know, we uh we do have we did have a very popular boat to school program with the Ben Lapine School District, uh, where they were sourcing uh seafood from the Oregon uh coast, um up near Astoria and also were uh, inviting fisher fishermen and, and seafood harvesters down to Ben Lapine School District for visits uh, with the kids, as well as taking kids out to the fishing docks. Uh, and so we have, uh, in the past, yes, funded boat-to-school projects. Mm-hmm. So cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask you a question, Amy? For those $15 million, it, have they already earmarked like how that will be spent? And is it distributed evenly among all the school districts based on population? Or how does that work? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, the $15 million, uh, most of the majority of that funding will be for uh, school districts and also for um, child, uh, child what, they're called, what, what are called child and adult care feeding programs uh, or child um, care centers that, that participate in that program, as well as summer meal sites. So uh, places like uh, Boys and Girls Club or um, a Head Start that might be serving school meals, even schools, a lot of the school districts actually provide summer meals for kids. So those are going to, those are actually, that's part of the expansion is to include these summer meal sites as well as uh, child-based centers that are participating in the um, child feeding program. Um, so they are now eligible for those funds. So the good, a good portion of that 15 million, um, almost 11 million actually, will be um, available for those sponsors um, to uh, use to reimburse them for making qualified purchases of Oregon product. Um, about half of that 11 million roughly um, is going to be given directly to them. They will simply opt in for those funds. Um, and then the other roughly half will be uh, available in competitive funding for those same sponsors or those same um, eligible entities. Um, and really what we're hoping to do with some of those competitive funds is we know many of them are doing um, are going above and beyond the general program requirements uh, and doing things really in really innovative ways with producers. So maybe producers are hosting farm field trips, maybe producers are, uh, you know, putting um, planting specific vegetables that they're going to be selling to the schools. So we really um, we're hoping that some of that extra funding that we weren't anticipating having um, will go towards uh, go towards those innovative projects. And then the other uh, parts of the funding are um, uh, for educational purposes, as I said, we have a competitive education grant um, that's available for nonprofits, school districts, uh, agri- uh, producers, uh, commodity commissions, uh, uh, all of the uh, federally recognized tribes and native communities, um, <clears throat> and soil and water conservation districts. Those organizations are eligible for the education funds, um, and that money is is designed to provide. Um, uh, education specifically to school children or children that are in um, early child care settings around food and nutrition and, and agriculture. So are any of the funds going to be used, um, like do the school districts or whoever actually buys from these producers, do they get any of those funds to, to make additional purchases or is it all for the non-school side of things except for the education does that make sense <laughs> like i maybe i am i didn't ask the right question the right question is i don't know how school food works like i don't <laughs> understand <laughs> at a very basic level like how do like i know schools get a federal reimbursement they also get state money and then how do they figure out how to use that money to purchase the products they need some school districts i assume have a central kitchen where all the food gets made and some school districts probably have kitchens in their individual schools. So can you just kind of yeah, give I us mean, like the basics? Very, yes, yes. Well, the this, this school food environment can be um, can be complicated, but I think generally speaking, you know, districts do have, school districts do have uh, federal money or commodity money that um, that they have every year that they use to buy certain types of food um, through through their USDA food dollars, um, and then they also, with our state program, have have state funds. Um, is that, like, is that a <laughs> per student who qualifies for a school lunch program? So there are formulas, and I I don't I don't know those specifically, but the formulas that are used are basically determined on their uh, free and reduced meal eligible students, as well as their total number of students um, or meal counts, as well as student body population. So. Okay. Those uh, food dollars are determined in, in, you know, basically with that equation, mm-hmm. um, and then they basically can use those funds to buy from 
um, a, a number of different qualified USDA foods vendors uh, for their federal money. Uh, and then with their state money, um, they are able to buy uh, from Oregon producers exclusively. In fact, the state program is only for Oregon grown or Oregon processed products. And so those, um, those people making those decisions, are they like school district level people? Are they? Uh, you know, it really depends. Sometimes yeah. it's a, a food service director who uh, has the, the capability of or the responsibility to make the food purchasing decisions. Sometimes it's a business office. Um, in smaller districts, sometimes you have a school administrator who's wearing many hats. And so they are the purchaser, the food purchaser. They're the principal. They're the, uh, you know, maybe they're a coach. I mean, so that really it really does depend. But in the larger districts, we usually see that um, there is a food and nutrition service director. And usually that director is making those purchasing decisions, but then has a staff of, of, of chefs and other food service um, uh, cooks that actually do the, the cooking and preparing of the food and so on. You know, Lucy and I are going to tell stories about our products getting to school, but Amy, do you have any sweet stories about the educational part and how that ties into the classroom? Some kind of illustration about how like how sweet that can be for kids? I mean, you know, well, I mean, yes, there's definitely a one, some wonderful stories about um, how much I think the kids love to be in the school gardens. We have over 700 school gardens in the state, uh, and a lot of the funding that we've had has helped uh, has helped fund the development of those school gardens. A lot of the teachers that are providing education in those school gardens. Um, actually, one of my favorite stories is actually from uh, Riley Creek Elementary School down in the um, Port Orford area. And um, they um, had a farm to school program for many, many years um, in connection with their uh, OSU Master Gardeners program. So the Master Gardeners were out in the school garden with those elementary school kids for, um, you know, probably almost five or six years now. Um, and one of the things that we noticed was we had the principal from um, that particular school district um, tell us a story uh, about a month or so ago and he was telling us that he has a number of high school students who absolutely love the salad bar and they can't find they can't buy enough produce for the salad bar because those kids actually went to Riley Creek Elementary and they've been eating the salad they've been eating vegetables and and fruit from the salad bar for you know many many years and I just thought that was a really good um, awesome. testimony to how the programs can be effective and that we are really seeing the behavior change that we want to see um, with with farm to school as a program. Very cool. Yeah, that's great. That's cool. Um, can you tell us a little bit about like what are the, what is that education program or what do some of those education programs look like? Is it is it just somebody come into the school and they uh, teach about different produce or is it uh, tasting things? I know there's some garden education. Yeah, I mean, you know, again, it's um, we let the communities decide what uh, type of programming they is that they, that they think is necessary um we the education really um what we're looking for with those uh with those funds is uh you know every child getting every child that's part of that education product getting at least 10 hours of education of food agriculture or nutrition whatever it is that the um, school community is really focused on um and so we don't we don't try to and a lot of times we're looking for those um for that curricula to be uh, to be aligned with state state standards and education, uh, Common Core or even you know science, math, and language um, standards, but really it's up to the school district to decide how to use those education funds. Um, a lot of the uh, funded projects um, have helped make connections between um, health outcomes, agriculture. Um, and even just um, uh, understanding the agricultural workforce um, as well. So some of our uh, education funds have been used to help educate kids about uh, food processing, um, taking them on field trips to uh, food manufacturers or farms. So it's it's pretty experiential. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, <clears throat> so I think uh, there's probably, I think you've said it a couple of different ways, but just to kind of really make it clear, what are really like what are farm to school programs bes trying to achieve besides educating children about where their food comes from? I think there's some other kind of goals there, especially around economics. Sure. Uh, I think one of the things we're trying to do is, I mean, we're really trying to get more uh, fresh, uh, healthy local products into the school marketplace. Uh, and I think that that takes, um, you know, that takes a little bit of lifting um, from everybody to make that happen. Um, I think we're trying to. Um, 
make uh, we're trying to build a school-wide culture of health uh, as well so we're really trying to see I mean many of us many of us maybe just me or maybe maybe Lucy and I can remember <laughs> um, that you know when I was young my um, I didn't always have the the healthiest options in my uh, school meal program um, but the school meal program offerings have changed dramatically over the last 30 years um, and some of that is because some of the federal legislation that has changed to uh, improve nutrition standards and um, improve the um, types of offerings that you're seeing uh, within those um, cafeteria meal lines. So, you know, I think we are trying to create more of a, um, a place, especially in the cafeteria, where there's a variety of healthful options for kids to choose from. That's definitely one of the, one of the things we're trying to achieve with it. Um, in terms of the economy, you know, I think um, schools can be a stable marketplace for producers to sell products. Do you mean stable in that um, they're going to be able to sell year after year or like quarter after quarter? Yeah, the in the sense product. of um, it's reliable. Yeah. You know, um, there's um, inst- there's a number there's quite a few. Um, I think the institutional food service market is something that we are starting to understand more. Um, and realize that many people are eating meals in institutions, whether that's schools or hospitals or business campuses, college campuses every day. Um, And that's an untapped market for for local producers. Mm -hmm. And I would throw in that, you know, every time you spend your money locally, you're reinvesting it in your community. And so that plays out in those larger ways with the kids and their families. And so it has a really powerful reverberating effect. Right. Like I can go to my farmer's market and buy a bunch of kale and some onions, but a school district buying, that's got to be a huge quantity of onions that they're buying from Oregon producers. Yeah, my my friend at Stone Boat Farm just had Portland Public Schools put in an order for 2,000 pounds of potatoes. Whoa. And he's at the (laughs) farmer's market next to me every every day selling. Oh, Jesse, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Selling, what, 60 pounds of potatoes, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Right. We do see that happen, actually, kind of in the shoulder seasons where producers have a bumper crop or they have surplus and there are the larger districts that are able to um, you know to to purchase those those vegetables or those that surplus product um, and 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 so we have we do have farmers contact us a lot with those situations yeah, yeah. so it seems like one of the challenges for farmers would be um, figuring out scale so if you're a small producer and you don't grow 2,000 pounds of potatoes or whatever it is like how do you get access into those institutional markets. Is that something that you guys are working at at the Department of Agriculture? You know, we are trying to help producers overcome some of those barriers. Uh, One of the other grant programs that was created as a result of this expansion uh, of the program uh, this past biennium was uh, an an equipment grant for producers that intend to sell to schools. A lot of times, especially with the smaller producers, is is, uh, when we hear about some of the barriers that they face um, in entering the school marketplace, um, it's often about scale. Uh, they may not have um, some of the equipment that they need for harvesting or handling or sorting and packing, uh, you know, even washing stations, um, some of the food safety requirements now that producers are uh, needing to come into compliance with. So we will be making available an equipment and infrastructure grant um, as part of the expansion of the funds that will help hopefully offset some of the costs for producers um, that are interested in the school marketplace. Nice. And it seems like a challenge on the other side of um, you know, a school district would be just it's so much easier if you can go to one place and order the same thing right. every month and they have the same thing. But if you're talking about what's local and in season, then you don't necessarily have that. So, yeah. And we do, you know, we do have a lot of districts. Um, I mean, districts, we do. We have a lot of distributors who carry a lot of Oregon product and they carry um, seasonal products. So. Uh, we do have districts who buy. Um, there's many ways to buy Oregon product, right? So they can they can ask for a local list from their distributor. Um, they can buy direct from their their farmer. Um, but yeah, a lot of them do actually use their their broadline distributors to find Oregon product that qualifies under the grant program. That's very cool. Um, so we've got this big pile of money coming. Very exciting. Um, you mentioned one of the grant new grant programs. I think you said that there are a couple other new grant programs. Can you tell us what those are going to yeah, be? Yeah, so one of those was the the equipment and infrastructure grant that will be available for producers. Uh, and that will hopefully be uh, coming online in the new year. Um, we'll have that ready. Um, 
and out to the public. The other one is a technical assistance grant, um, and that's really designed to um, help support <clears throat> some of our partners that uh, actually are uh, more regionally based. And I mentioned the regional procurement and education hubs that we have around the state that are really designed to help connect local producers with both the school districts and the child care centers, um, as well as the summer meal sites in their respective regions. So really the technical assistance funds are designed to help support um, those those hubs and some of the other organizations that support those those hubs. So for example, the Oregon Farm to School and School Garden Network or uh, even Ecotrust or some of the other regional hubs would be uh, eligible for those funds as well as OSU Extension. Um, but that's really about building the capacity because there's so much farm to school programming happening around the state. As I mentioned, we have 700 school gardens that I'm sure a good majority of them have school garden education programming. We have over 300 producers or processors that are selling into the market. We currently have over 140 school districts that are, um, from last year's uh, numbers, participating in the program. And that's only going to grow with the expansion of the money. So it's really important that we have partners you know, on the ground that are able to be responsive um, to the needs of both producers and schools in getting connected, as well as the nonprofit organizations that are supporting the school garden education that's being provided. Awesome. So if I'm a, a producer and I want to get one of those equipment grants, like where do I find out more about that? What do I have to do? Well, you can con I mean, you can definitely contact me. That is something that we'll be uh, overseeing at the Department of Agriculture. Um, we don't have. We're in the process of actually uh, preparing the request for applications. So it'll be. It's a couple. We're probably a couple months out, but um, I'm sure there's a way for people to get in touch with any of us here if they want to, or they'll be giving that information probably at the end of the show. But yeah, they can definitely um, send me an email or. Can you, do you want to just say your email right sure. now? Sure. Just in case anybody <coughs> has their pen at the ready. Yeah, absolutely. And they need a new. <laughs> cold storage. I don't know what they need, what right. equipment they need, but. <laughs> um, sure. So my email is agilroy, that's A-G-I-L-R-O-Y at O-D-A dot state dot O-R dot U-S. Um, so some of the funds, uh, hope, well, actually, I don't know. Maybe some of the new funds are going to be helped helping out uh, what we want to talk about next, which is how you get a producer connected to a school and everything you have to go through to make that happen. So we've got two two of those stories. Um, and first, we're going to talk to Lucy. Um, so uh, Lucy, your business, Amy said earlier, your business is exactly the type of business that she's hoping can get connected to schools. And oh, you've done it, which is great. Um, so can you tell us just a little bit about your business, you know, where it's located, why you started it, everything about who you are? <clears throat> yep. So um, so my name is Lucy, and our business name is Tortilleria y Tienda de Leones, and we are located uh, at um, one, 162nd in Gleason. So we're right on the divider of Portland and Gresham's, but we're on the Gresham side. Mm-hmm. Um so we've been there for 20 years. Um, we, um, my history, do you want to go back to my history too? Absolutely, okay. yeah. So I was born in Texas. Um, I'm the youngest of six. Um, we were migrant workers and we would travel all over the states. Um, we would get contracted to work and uh, pick different crops and uh me being the youngest, um, I got to work too. So I started like at the age of like six, you know, being out there in the fields and really knowing, you know, there are some crops I did like. There's other crops that we just... What was the worst? I think cucumbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that was in New York. So uh, we would sometimes work in like the snow too. So... Mm-hmm. But great memories, so. Um, so uh, Oregon, in the meantime, um, you know, mom would be selling her tamales out in the fields. I, we would help her in the morning. We would get up super early, you know, so she can get, you know, meals that she could, um, we could prepare so she could sell during lunch hour. So she would be working, lunch hour would come around. When you say get up early as a farm worker, what does that mean? Because you're already getting up early. Yeah, like 
three in the morning, you know, depending. Uh, So out there in the fields, you know, there's a lot of, you know, men that would come, you know, sometimes not having their spouses and they didn't want to cook. They knew, you know, Francisca, who's my mother, would bring, you know, hot lunches, you know, in a cooler. So she would always take advantage of that. So um, growing up, you know, she would always, you know, I would watch her, you know, like always, you know, if there was a moment, if you could do a sell, let's sell, you know, and that's kind of been in me too. Um, my husband always laughs like, oh, Lucy, you know, and I said, hey, you never know. <laughs> but, um, but anyway, so Oregon was our last stop. I was 10. We came contracted to come work here at a, at a berry farm and um, mom I mean, here too, even though it was a cannery, um, she um, would be selling there too, tamales mm-hmm. and gorditas and other people would order special things. And and she would say, you know, someday, you know, we, we're going to have our own place, Lucy. We're going to have our, and, and here we are. So, um, so we've been, yeah, 20 years and, and. 2017 it kind of really got into me like we need to have you know start selling our product you know to school lunches so it started as a restaurant um it's a it's a deli deli i don't i don't call it a restaurant Mm -hmm. because um it's more it's like because we we make tortillas we make our chips we have a a kitchen we actually now have two kitchens Mm -hmm. but um but I, I call it more of a deli. Yeah. yeah. So, um, um, why schools, Lucy? Why in 2017 schools? Well, uh, my kids kind of, you know, started uh, telling me, Mom, why can't we have this at school? You know, like, um, you know, it's funny because I pack them like a little bit of chips. I'll pack a little bit of pulled pork, a little baggie, you know, of shredded cheese, you know, so they can make their own nachos. (laughs) And when it it comes to uh, taco day, which they want me to pack them, you know, our food. So I'm like, why not? And I've, you know, sent tamales to school. And but they, you know, they've expressed like, oh, you know, school food, you know, and I remember those times, you know, like I, I, I don't recall, like Amy was saying earlier, I don't recall there being a salad bar. And now every time that I have that opportunity to go to school, there's always that choice. And I'm like, this is awesome, you know? Um, so, and, and for me, you know, for, I mean, my kids telling me, you know, and me packing them, you know, um, that I was packed, you know, sometimes I would take my own Mexican food too. Um, but for me, it's really important right now, especially in this time, um, to have kids try other, other foods, not stick to the same, you know, I mean, there's a lot of foods still that they're serving, that I can remember from when I was a kid. Like yeah. rectangle shaped pizza. That's mm. the thing I always remember is like the <laughs> rectangle like squares of pizza. Yeah. 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 And um, what better than healthy food mm. made local fresh, mm. you know, that was just, you know, produced. And, and like you said, I mean, for me, it's like, you buy local, you're helping the community. It's it just turns around, you know. It's yeah. people that work in the community, you know. It's it's family that's working at those businesses, yeah. you know. And it's all, you know, instead of buying stuff that comes from, you know, at one of the food shows, the um, school shows that I went to, um, uh, a school mentioned uh, that they were buying pool pork from Florida. I'm yeah. like. Florida we're right here you know and also you're talking about kids getting to try new foods but also kids who are in those districts who are Mexican getting to see their own culture represented in lunch Mm -hmm. that's huge too and seeing everybody eat it yes and um um I was just at a meeting and it was all 
uh, like five superintendents. And just in the district where I live, it's they had over 40% of Latinos yeah. living there. I mean, in the population in the for the school, and it's like, oh my gosh, you know. Yeah. I mean, and and stories that I've heard for where we are delivering our tamales. I mean, I I hear that kids just go crazy <laughs> when they hear tamales, or you know that that they're going to be eating tamales, and that just oh, you know, just totally. really touches me because good. Yeah. Yeah, um, it is very touching. That's sweet. Yeah. So, okay, so you had the idea. You wanted to get your products into schools. How did you actually make it happen? Well, I um, contacted Amy. So I kind of... She's the I, key. Yeah, she is. And she's been uh, such a big asset. I mean, I couldn't have done this if it wasn't for her. And I know I bugged her a lot, <laughs> but um, she first said, Lucy, you have to, you know, work on this first. And, and, and there's all this steps. It's not just here it is, you know, no, because schools want it this way. And then we have to meet certain, you know, criteria, you know, so much, you know. And, and at first I thought, oh, my gosh, this is going to be impossible. You know, like this seems so overwhelming because one we are not a big company who has, you know, that, you know, staff with that many people that can work on this project. No, it was, it was me. What and were some of the requirements that were, were challenging? So, um, so for like our corn, that was one of my biggest challenge. Um, the corn uh, masa that I was using, uh, that I've been using for years that I can remember as a kid using mm -hmm. to that brand, um, they said, no, it's not, it's not, it won't be a, you know, um, it's not acceptable, you know, to, to use. And uh, why is that? Um, because it wasn't um, whole grain and they needed something um, that what that did meet that requirement. So I had to look for another, you know, um, masa mm -hmm. and um, I remember can I share the story yeah uh, so I remember going last year to local link and um, I think it's like a week later um, I got a phone call from uh, Portland Public Schools that um, there is a fire down in uh, California and their producer wasn't able to make the tamales and they said we need it was like 15,000 tamales by wow. next week and, wow and I said I, I'll do it but <laughs> there was a little hiccup I needed the masa mm -hmm. which I couldn't source here so I had to you know push some buttons and um and I, you know, I, I, I found what I needed and um, it was made in Texas, but they could deliver it to California. And by the time I got it from California over here, I had a week to deliver those tamales wow. and it was like a weekend. So I, I said, I have to go pick it up. So we ended up, um, I actually sent my dad, who's in his 70s, late <laughs> 70s, and he drove all the way down to it's a really funny city name Rancho Cacamunga <laughs> it's close to LA and um, he went to go pick up my masa wow. so um, and he just went and came straight back and you must really care about being <laughs> in schools to go through all of that effort that's like a lot of it, work it, it, it was yeah. but let me tell you it was so humbling I mean I'm going to get teary um, <laughs> because it was it was a dream, you know. I mean, it's just to get your product, you know, there. And and I had even friends tell me from PPS, oh, my gosh, you know, my kids had your tamales today, you know, and, and they're, they're so good, you know. Mm -hmm. And and so that was really rewarding. 
So Lucy, how often are they on the menu at PPS and how will people know so that they can send their kids to eat your tamales? So um, PPS um, features uh, local, like they feature a local meal day or I'm not sure if it's a whole week or the day or something like that, but um, so they feature it on their menu. Okay. And um, uh, yeah, that's it. If they see the word tamales, will they know that it's yours? Possibly, um, you know, because it says local. I'm, I'm okay. yeah. I, I don't know how, to what extent, you know, they what name, you know, what else they put besides local. But okay. yeah, it was exciting. Cool. Yeah, very cool. Um, so you mentioned that the students have been responding and really liking the the tamales. But has have the schools also given you any feedback, or the school district? Have you heard from them? Um, yes, um, there's um, one school district, uh, Umatilla. She says, Lucy, if, if I don't have the tamales, you know, once a month, you know, my kid, the kids are bugging me about it. <laughs> so I'm like, that's great. So she's serving it at least once a month. And but I've heard just great feedback. Um, I just this this past Monday, I went to go deliver um, it was over 8,000 tamales to one school district. And one of the nutritionists, uh, which I had never met, um, she told me, Lucy, you know, I've been at this district for over 20 years. I've never heard, I've never seen kids so excited and so pumped about <laughs> your tamales, you know, and so, you know, and talking about it. And, and that's just awesome. I mean, it's like, it's just one little, you know, um, just one little, how do I say it? I'm thinking in Spanish now. I got to mm-hmm. process it. And so, you know, just one little part of our culture, you know, showing them, you know, that's one. And then, you know, it's for me, it, the most ideal thing would be, you know, having different food days at school or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like to this week we'll have, you know you know, Mexican food. Next week we'll have, you know, Japanese food, you know, following or, or something like that, you know, just to show kids like, hey, this is, and I mean, there's so many, so many uh, nationalities out there, you know, I, it'd just be awesome to see something like that. Totally. Yeah. And uh, I think what, Le- I think what Lucy's describing too is what we are uh, trying to achieve with, with Farm to School in the sense that we're trying to make um, the cafeteria a place where kids want to be, where it's fun, mm-hmm. where they are able to try a lot of different uh, types of food from different cultures from all over the world. I mean, that's really what I think our vision is for farm to school is to make it to making, you know, school lunch cool again and making mm-hmm. it a place where kids feel um, uh, feel safe, where they want to try new foods. Um, it's a fun place to be. It's interactive. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that we're able to, you know, we're starting to see some of this happen now with a lot of these different types of projects. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention really quickly, too, was Lucy had mentioned that uh, she and I connected <clears throat> at an event called Local Link, which is something which is an awesome event, which is something that, that EcoTrust and some of our other partners in farms in farmed institution um, co-sponsor uh, every year. And it's really a marketplace event where local vendors are bringing products and we bring in a lot of uh, hospital and school uh, buyers to and other buyers to come and get to know these vendors, try their products, um, and then hopefully, uh, make a sale later mm-hmm. later on and that's where Lucy and I really started to um, work together and and as she said there are a number of nutrition um, requirements to get products into schools and that's really where we started to work work together and if you are a food manufacturer or a farmer and you're interested in selling to schools look up local link you can sign up it's in November so, so um, November 13th, 13th. yeah yep, yep. Mm-hmm. so yeah we'll put the link for that on the um, website as well uh, Lucy, thank you so much. Um, if people want to eat your tamales but they are not a student, how do they get them? <laughs> okay, so, um, well, one at our location, 162nd in Gleason, and um, it's Tortilleria y Tienda de Leones, but we also um, have them at all the New Season stores in their deli case, mm-hmm. um, at Market of Choice, and uh, Green Zebra carries our product too um oh uh, world food mm-hmm. and then 
food oh, co-op food front fruit front yeah yeah food <laughs> front yeah and um those are just some of the places yeah awesome yeah cool. thanks mm-hmm. um so let's turn to lola uh your company umi organics uh makes noodles mm-hmm. <laughs> and you've also similarly gone through a lot of work to get your noodles ready to be able to serve um served at, at school lunches um, and we want to hear about that. But first, tell us what your company is, why you make noodles, why you started the company. Sure, yeah. I feel like it's all tied together. So if I can do it all at once, Emily, I'm going to have that. Absolutely, okay? yeah. <laughs> um, so I grew up here in Portland, and I attended um, J- the Japanese immersion program since I was five. It starts in Richmond Elementary School. And then I was the second class of the school, so... We moved our way into Mount Tabor Middle School and then Grant High School. My parents, my mom is a Filipino-American. She, Philippines and Japanese history is kind of messy, but they really wanted me to have a bilingual education. So without me, you know, thinking about it, I was five. I was sort of immersed half the time in Japanese culture. And I traveled to Japan many, many times. I grew up in a community of people. A lot of them are second-generation Japanese-American. And, um, you know, Japanese culture became something that was very important to me that I felt really connected with. And I lived in Japan for a period of time. And when I moved back from Japan, you know, I went to college and I, this kind of, this this particular story is really full circle in my life, <laughs> which is that I, I was in college, I studied Japanese food culture in college. Um, and then when I graduated, I wanted to work on farm to school. That was just beginning. It was something that I was hearing about. It's 2007, so right when the movement is beginning. And um, I know this organization, EcoTrust, is doing it in Portland. So I apply for an internship there, and I start working on Farm to School. And I really still see Farm to School as this incredibly powerful tool for equity because all school kids get to eat school lunch. And if we can bring them the best food that we can, and that should be our goal, is that all kids can get the best food they possibly can, then we are doing a service for our communities, for their brains, for their ability to learn, for our economy. And so I like, my heart has beat for this for a really long time. And I realized pretty quickly that the legislative process was maybe not my favorite part of that job. (laughs) So I kind of moved more towards uh, communication, advocacy, marketing. um, And at the same time, I was really um, passionate about Japanese food and making a lot of it at home and had some friends. I have a friend whose mom, Valerie Otani, has been really inspiring to me. And she was always encouraging me for towards my my noodle passion (laughs) so so she helped me take a workshop on ramen making and I was working a job where I got a lot of opportunity to watch um, and support a regional grain economy and growing so I kind of could see which farmers are starting to grow grains and looking for local markets and so the dream for this business was to create noodles that were certified organic. I really, really believe in organic farming as an investment in the soil and in the people that work the land. And also to use regional grains because most of our grain economy is built for export. We send it abroad. And I was buying a lot of Japanese products that were made with US US grain. So sent to Japan, made in Japan, brought back. Um, And I thought, well, it'd be so great if we could make these products locally, use um, local grains. So that was my concept when we started the business. Mm-hmm. And um, I hadn't thought a lot about, I, I thought a lot about uh, Farm to School from my own like passion, but not for the business itself. Um, but same event, Local Link, which was really, really powerful. I was at that event and um, I was serving ramen samples and a different sc- a school district came up and said, is that a yakisoba? noodle. A yakisoba noodle is a cooked noodle. Um, And I said, it's not, but I think I could make a yakisoba noodle. (laughs) What do you, are you interested in them? I mean, maybe I'm playing some Lucy there where I'm like, (laughs) so, so, so. (laughs) So they said, yeah, we are looking for yakisoba noodles, um, but it has to be 50% or more whole grain rich, which is that same challenge. Um, and that that's Lucy a faced. federal requirement. That's a federal requirement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, well, that's going to be a fun challenge. Mm-hmm. And I do have the connections within the Oregon 
grain economy um, that I could probably buy flour, whole grain rich flour, and work on the noodle. So then I met Whitney. Whitney um, Ellersick is the head of nutrition services for Portland Public Schools. And she said, oh, yeah, we have it on our menu. We have yakisoba on our menu in April and May. This was in November. And we don't know where we're buying the noodle yet, so can you do it by <laughs> April? <laughs> and so the, the really cool backstory here is that Richmond, where I went to elementary school, is still the Japanese immersion program. When I was there, it was one class of kids. Now the entire school is a bilingual school. And a, there are kids there who are studying Japanese. There are kids who are Japanese, who are fluent Japanese speakers and are learning English. There are people who come from Japanese American backgrounds and they're learning both. And there are parents in those schools and they wanted to do a cultural lunch for the students of the school where they served Japanese foods. And so, like, I don't know that people realize that the cafeteria is this opportunity. If you are patient and considerate, you can become involved in your school cafeteria. And so these mostly Japanese mothers did that and they, they piloted a cultural lunch program about five years ago, if I'm remembering this right. And it turns out some of my friends, Japanese friends, were actually doing this little beknownst to me. Mm-hmm. And they, the most popular item that they served was yakisoba. Kids love noodles. It's true. Um, yakisoba is really cool. The way they serve it at Portland Public Schools is 50% vegetable, 50% noodle. But they, kids don't really realize how many vegetables they're eating. And so they tested the yakisoba in Richmond, and it was successful. And Whitney was paying attention. And she said, if it was successful here and we've tested it, maybe we could take it district-wide. And so it's a really cool model to think about how schools themselves can pilot different programs. And so when I um, started, that that was the history that brought this yakisoba onto the menu in all of Portland Public Schools. And so I had some mentorship this entire um, – you can interrupt me at any time, Emily. I'm fascinated. Okay. <laughs> so – this entire thing's made possible because there's this really amazing ecosystem in Oregon. Amy is integral to that. The Department of Education, um, Food Innovation Center, EcoTrust, Food Corps. Um, so I had support everywhere. And like Lucy, I was doing all of the paperwork myself and trying to calculate ounce equivalencies and <clears throat> trying to understand how to communicate with schools. And I had really, really good mentorship from a professor at PSU named Betty Azumi, who works on school lunch. And she said, why don't you test your whole grain yakisoba with a smaller school and make sure that your noodle is something that the kids like before you bring it district-wide? And because I was feeling really anxious about like bringing a noodle into schools and then it's, the kids don't like it, you know? Um, and so we did that in March and we did a taste test and Food Corps facilitated that taste test. And Amy was there with me. And we put a bunch of school garden grown cabbage, <laughs> uh, like like bok choy and cabbage in this um, yakisoba noodle. And it was like a smashing success with the kids. <laughs> and so I knew, okay, th- we, we have a good chance with this. This is gonna go well. And it also just like filled my heart to the brim, you know? Mm. Um, and so we served the noodles uh, first time in May and then they will they were served once in September and they'll be served on the 23rd of October. So if you're a parent in Portland Public Schools, um, look for yakisoba on the menu, send your kids with school lunch that day, that's money. Um, it's a great way to support schools. And like my big message from this entire experience and hearing Lucy's incredible story is that people have a lot of preconceived notions about school lunch and it's like baggage they carry with them, almost like a filter. So they just think school lunch is gonna be crummy. and the amount of work that these school districts are putting in is extraordinary and the number of relationships that they're holding and the care that they bring to them and school lunch there's a lot better school lunch than you think and there are options that are really excellent and it's worth the time to pay attention to that menu to go in and have lunch with your kids sometime Mm -hmm. to meet the people that are running the cafeteria and participate and realize just how much better it is and how continually it's getting better Mm -hmm. so that's like my big message (laughs) (laughs) awesome um so you know it sounds like the districts are doing a lot of work you just illustrated that but you also had to do a lot of work you had to source all of the grains Mm -hmm. and the flour and like and camas country mill camas country mill is mid-scale mill and so they're going to happen a flour that i can support school districts and that's really really important that someone has to be large enough that they have the supply 
the steady supply that I can make new, the right. new noodles. Yeah. And so you're sourcing from them and they're sourcing from uh, They Oregon. grow some of it themselves and then they contract out to some growers. That's very cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's different? So your um, product that you have on the shelves in, in grocery stores is a ramen noodle. Mm. Um, and so what's the difference in like the grain content? Like, I mean, did you have to invent a whole new thing or is yeah, it Yeah, I had this um, help from an awesome guy named Alex McGillivray and we tested, 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 tested. We got tons of flowers from Camus and not only Camus. Um, and I had some ideas about what the noodle should contain. I thought it would need a lot of durum or semolina because that's a whole grain flour Italians typically use for pasta and it's very high, it's very strong. Um, but when we boosted the content a lot, it didn't really work. And so we were just playing, playing, playing with mixtures. Um, so we are using an Edison flour, which um, bred in Washington um, and grown by Camus. And then also a Durham flour. And it was just like a lot of rapid succession testing, you know, pretending to be food scientists, change one factor, change one factor, change one factor. Sounds like you are a food scientist. No, not true. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But the difference is that our ramen noodle is not cooked. You can get it at grocery stores, natural food stores, and co-ops, and uwajimaya. Um, It's not cooked. You have to boil it yourself. Um, And it's got whole grain barley flour, which we get from a smaller farm down in Umpqua Valley called uh, Myrtle Creek. The yakisoba noodles, we haven't brought to market yet um, for a lot of different reasons that I won't go into right now, Mm -hmm. but I'm working on it. um, And they are um, this mixture of Durham and Edison and sourced from Camas Country Mill. So it's a cooked noodle and schools all have different setups, but Portland Public Schools has ovens. And so the noodles had to be able to be finished, cooked in an oven. So the fact that they're pre-cooked is crucial in this setting so the vegetables are roasted on sheet pans the noodles are roasted on sheet pans Mm -hmm. and then they're tossed together and tossed with sauce and then there's chicken on the side so that is how that preparation is done Mm -hmm. and since selling into portland public schools we actually have begun selling to eugene school district and in both cases these whitney and jenny and eugene have been incredible partners who really you're saying i've done a lot of work and you know i feel like they've done a lot of work but they've both like thanked me for the work that we did and so it just it feels really amazing to have those partnerships and in both cases I know how often I'm going to make this run of noodles and the volume of it from September through May so that's what we're talking about with a reliable market so I have a part of my budget that I know is set which is really powerful that's great um so just for both Lucy and um, Lola, you guys have put a lot of work into developing these products that are going to meet the nutritional standards that schools are required to use. Um, and you, it's cool. You have these new markets that you're working in. Um, and you're getting the really good feelings of hearing kids say they love your food. And you're getting that good feedback. But, um, you know, would you recommend this route for other producers? Like, is it actually going to financially pay off is it is it beneficial to you? Because that's one of the one of the one of the goals of the programs, right? It's like support producers too and help it be um, beneficial. For, yeah, for me, absolutely, hundred percent. I mean, it's been really all, all the forward work is um, <clears throat> nothing compared to the daily work I do trying to get grocery stores to continually buy my product. And mm-hmm. right now, I have these contracts, and I it that they're set for a certain period of time, um, and so I can hold those relationships I want to hold dear, but it's not a grind, a constant grind to sell and sell and make sure that I'm still selling. And because of this farm to school funding that this uh, last legislative session brought, I'm getting paid a fair price for my product. Um, And it's at a volume that makes it really make sense for me. So I would love for other school districts to also bring yakisoba onto their menus. Mm-hmm. You can and, give tamales. Me, and tamales. And tamales. <laughs> Absolutely. And tamales. Um, give us a call. It's one, It's a really great mark. I'm really glad. I'm grateful. Yes. Um, so I have to say um, last week I, um, I sent about 30 emails and um, it all, it all, you know, just takes you know our effort too but um this week i'm meet, i i'm meeting with seven school districts 
And I'm applauding. Yeah. You can't hear it. <laughs> <laughs> this morning I had already one meeting and she says, it's on. She's like, I was working on my menu for November and I paused because I knew we were going to have this meeting, Lucy, this morning. So she's like, we're definitely going to put you on there. Um, but yes, I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's well, uh, you know, worth all the time and effort we put in. I also I also have to say, um, Natalie from PPS um, helped me too, mm-hmm. on in the beginning mm-hmm. too, um, because I mean, you said yours, you got your order for April. Mine was like, yeah, like no, I had yeah. months. It felt yeah. very short to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, the pressure was on, uh, yeah. but for me, I've I've always been like that. The more pressure. Mm. the better I feel. Good to know that about yourself. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, so yeah, school districts, call (laughs) us, school food. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's worth thinking. I mean, people can reach out to Amy, but the, you know, ovens, uh, following nutrition standards, like kind of think it through and see, does my product make sense in that setting? And if it feels like it might, Local link is a very good place to start. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one other thing, too, is that, that that's really what the funds are for. The farm to school funding is to help get producers or food manufacturers like these guys sort of set up, get them introduced to districts, figure out what what works, because really what we're seeing with with the funding and what the vision we have for it is that schools will go on to make further purchases, not only from, you know, these these two lovely women here, but from other businesses as they get more acquainted with working with local producers and working with local manufacturers and finding out, you know, how they can get the product that they need, you know, how they can set up these business relationships. But what we're seeing is that, you know, districts will go on and make further purchases on their own um, with without just without the state, the state subsidy. So they're going further with their purchases. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here today. Um, we'll have uh, links and ways to connect to everybody that's been on the show today on our website. Um, thank you. That's our show for today. Thanks, everybody, for being here. The preceding program was produced at KBU Community Radio in Portland, Oregon. More audio can be found online at kboo.fm. to KBOO Portland. Coming up next is Jazz Lives, right after these news headlines. Bienvenidos a un breve informativo en su estación comunitaria KBOO 90.7 FM. <laughs> 